0: Okay, today is July the 19th, 2011. It's a Monday, Tuesday. Tuesday. <laughs> I should have stopped while I was ahead. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, know one thing, it's hot. Okay, let's prepare ourselves this evening in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer. Option of rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your faithfulness in providing everything that we need. You did so in eternity past. There's nothing that You left out. There's nothing that we can add to Your plan. It's You that has to be glorified in the angelic conflict. And You can do so by the grace that You extend to us. And for those of us who exploit that grace and grow in that grace and knowledge. So we pray that You will help us to focus to keep tuned in to your mighty word this evening. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, we are in 2 Thessalonians. (coughs) Chapter 3. Closing in on the end of the book. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Verse 13, this is a short verse. We ended last time on this verse. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. Seems somewhat innocuous. However, this is a very important verse, as I pointed out last time. We are to do good when it comes to accepting the gospel the only good that is in view is Christ's work on the cross, Christ and His work on the cross. But when you get outside of that, outside of the gospel, the Bible has a lot to say to believers about work, that we are commanded to work. In fact, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that says that in eternity past, God created us unto good works, and where a lot of people get confused, and I mean a lot of people, is that they can't differentiate between the work that is done in the Christian life and the no work that is needed at salvation. We were talking uh, last Sunday after church, I was meeting with the guys, and we were talking about how important it is that every believer be able to distinguish between positional and experiential. You've heard that over and over here. But if you can't make that distinction, you can't understand the Bible. There are certain keys that we have to have. If you don't understand dispensationalism, you can't understand the Bible. And the same thing with the difference between positional and experiential. And I never hear anybody talking about that. Uh, well, I, I hear a few of the doctrinal pastors, and, but for the most part, this is not in the normal communication that believers have with each other. I'm talking about not in a local church. Hopefully, y'all talk about what we teach and commiserate about it. But I'm talking about outside this realm, when you're talking to other believers, if you said something, oh, well, that's positional. It's not experiential. They would probably look at you and say, what are you talking about? You have to have... Those keys. And of course, context is always very important, also. So, when we're talking about works, it's a huge issue because people are so confused about it. Some people are, think that because there's no works at all in salvation, that there's no work at all, period, that is required. But that is contrary to what the Bible says. We know that. But we have to keep it separate from. The great salvation that takes place in the aorist's tent in a point in time where God does everything and we accept it as a gift. Those, Some of you will instantly relate to the top circle. Everything in the top circle is positional and it's permanent. It's what God has accomplished for us so that we can be in the bottom circle. And then, of course, you know there we're talking about experiential. Sometimes we're in fellowship and sometimes we're not. We don't want to discount those. So when we're talking about this verse 13 in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, As for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. I think that's probably the most vulnerable aspect of the Christian life is growing weary. Especially for believers that have been in the Word for decades they've got the basics down and they've been doing good things and by the way when we're talking about good things we're not just talking about helping old ladies across the street we're talking about divine good and it's unfortunate that most believers don't even know the difference between human good and divine good you use those terms of most people and they think well all good is done by humans well that's not so God does a tremendous amount of good but In the human realm, we produce human good as well as divine good. And to be able to make that distinction. Of course, I know that I'm preaching to the choir here. You all know the difference between human good and divine good. You are able to give a definition to anyone who would ask. Anything that you do under the filling of the Holy Spirit is divine good. When you are thinking doctrine, uh, you can be on the computer You can be washing dishes. You can be out in the yard. Whatever you're doing when you're thinking doctrine and when you're applying that doctrine, that is divine good. Anything outside of that realm where you're not filled with the Holy Spirit is human good. And see, that's why we can't make very good analysis of other people's lives, which we don't need to be doing anyway, as to whether they're producing divine good or human good because they can be doing the same exact thing at one time and it would be human good and the exact same thing from an onlooker's perspective and it could be divine good. It all depends upon whether they're in fellowship or not, whether it is the Holy Spirit producing it through them, which is divine good. If they're not filled with the Holy Spirit, it's still good, but it's not acceptable by God. We can't add to God's plan and we can't do anything on our own that is acceptable to God. We have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then it's the Holy Spirit that does the work through us. And then it is God who gets the credit and not us. But man has a lust for approbation. We want to get credit. So much so that it's hard for a lot of people to even accept the grace of of eternal salvation. They want to at least get a little credit. At least let me get dunked in water and say that that's part of the salvation package that is a requirement. At least I can do that much. But the answer is no, you can't do that much. It's faith and faith alone. Okay, we have some passages. We've gone through a couple. And tonight we're going to start on this one. This is where we ended last time. Romans chapter 2, verse 3 through 8. And I have a little commentary that I've written after this. So you might want to go in your Bible to this verse, to these verses here. Romans chapter 2, verse 3 through 8. I'll be reading from the NAS, New American Standard. Romans chapter 2, verse 3 through 8. But do you suppose this, O man when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same things yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? I'm so glad that we're starting with this verse because we're going to get to a part, a verse, that is going to be talking about judgment. Now, there's such a thing as making judgment on someone that is a sin. And there's such a thing as making judgment on someone or about someone, There's making another type of judgment that is not a sin. In fact, we're required to do so. But right now, we're on the negative side. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Judge not, lest ye be judged. And that would go along with this Romans chapter 2, verse 3 through 8. And you know what that's talking about. We are not to set ourselves up as a judge over other people. That's God's realm, not ours, except for children. You take care of your children. But. And that's the context of this, of this. But do not suppose this, O oh man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same things yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God. Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Do you know what he's talking about, the kindness of God? Of course, we have all five types of grace. But this isn't talking about that. It's just talking about, for one thing, giving us time. That's kind of God to be long-suffering, to have the patience and give us time to accept His grace at salvation and then give us time to grow up spiritually. That's the kindness of God. And, of course, the... Common grace, making the gospel clear and perspicuous to an unbeliever who is spiritually dead. He's talking about such things. He says, do you just brush that aside? Do you think so lightly of these things, knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? You have an idea now what that's talking about. Now, verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath. This would be, he's referring here to unbelievers. This would be the GWT, the great white throne. So you yourselves are storing up that wrath in the day of wrath. See that day of wrath. There's going to be a day, there's going to be a time when God is going to judge and pour out His wrath on unbelievers. And the revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each person according to his deeds. Now, this word deeds is aragon. It means works. Here we are dealing with works. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, that's on the one hand, and the works, the deeds are going to be judged of believers at the judgment seat of Christ. We realize that and that's what that is described. Verse 8, but to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation, that's what they can expect. There's a lot in that verse. You spend a whole lot of time on that. But I have a little bit of commentary here. Believers who use 1 John 1, 9 to stay in fellowship, take in doctrine and allow God to work through them to produce divine good. They will re- be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ according to Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. However, unbelievers and believers out of fellowship Work, work, work for the approbation of God. They want a pat on the head. They want God to take note of who they are because of the work that they do, not from the Holy Spirit but by their own devices. Yet His righteousnesses, yet he is talking about the unbeliever or even the believer who is out of fellowship, His righteousnesses are as filthy rags. In the sight of the Lord. Y'all know where that verse is, of course. You've heard it said over and over again. His righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Everybody knows that, right? So I don't have to tell you. (laughs) Okay. Somebody's truthful. (laughs) Isaiah 64, 6. Mm Mm-hmm. So on the day of judgment the book of works will be opened for all unbelievers and they will be added up to they will be added up to see if they earn salvation but all uh, all will fall short of the glory of God and will be tossed into the lake of fire Now I'm sorry I'm going to have to bring something up I forgot that I was going to use this But I know where it is. It shouldn't take over 20 minutes to bring it up. Here it is. And we're talking about when the roll is called up yonder, and we're talking about the book of life. Unbelievers are going to stand before Jesus Christ at the great white throne judgment as their judge rather than their Savior because they rejected the free gift offer of eternal life through faith alone in Christ alone. And in... Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 and 12, you start seeing the book of, it's talked about the book of life. It's the name entered at birth. Every person's name at birth is entered into the book of life. However, that name is erased at death if they are not born again. And here's your scriptures for those. Philippians 4, 3. Psalms 69, 28, Revelation 3, 5, Revelation 20, verses 12 and 15 mention the book of life. That's one book. Well, let's just turn real quick to Revelation chapter 20 because you'll see in one verse it talks about both of the books, the book of works and the book of life. Revelation chapter 20 Verse 12, Revelation 2012, and I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were open, plural. The books are this bottom one that we'll get to here in a minute. That's the book of works. The books, notice it's plural, were open, and another book, singular, was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Now why is it talking about the, the book of life? You see, it's a double check and balance, balance type thing. Here you have an unbeliever standing before God at the great white throne. The first thing they do is they go over to the book of life and his name is not there. What does that mean? It means that he died rejecting Jesus Christ and the name that was written in the book of life when he was born was erased when he died rejecting Christ. And so we know that he's an unbeliever because his name's not in the book of life. Then they're going to go to the books. I'll go to the books in just a moment. I don't want to take the time to go over these verses right now, but you can look for them yourself and you'll see that it's entered in at birth. It's erased if you die a, a unbeliever. But there's also another book which is called the Lamb's Book of Life. That name is entered on the basis of being born again and it is never erased. And that's found in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, Revelation 17, 8, and Revelation 21, 27. So when you are born, your name goes physically, your name goes into the book of life. When you are born again, your name goes into the Lamb's book of life and it is never erased. Another good argument for eternal security. But at birth, your name is rendered into the book of life. And if you die without believing in Christ, it's erased. Now, the third type of book books that we're looking at, unbelievers will be judged according to these, according to the great white throne, Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. And I don't know how many books people accumulate. I don't know how many volumes there are. I don't even know if they have books in heaven. If we can carry around a, a, a smartphone and carry, you know, all our brains are in here, more than our brains. I don't know what I'll do, do more than I know how to do. If, if we can do all that with a little gizmo like this, I don't know that heaven has people up there, angels or whoever, uh, flopping pages back and forth. Uh, they, it's probably a system that's far superior to that. But they didn't have computers back then. They didn't even know about electricity, so. They had, actually it's not even books, it's scrolls. They didn't have books back then for the most part. But there's going to be a stack of books or a lot of data for people who died rejecting Christ. After they look and their name is not there in the book of life, they go to the book of works. Now why are they going to these books? Because what do they have left? Essentially, why should God let them into His heaven? What do they have to offer? They rejected Christ's perfect work on the cross, which is the only thing that can link them with God, and they refuse that. So the only thing that they have left is their own works. And they're depending upon those works to get into heaven. And there's, I don't know how many, some people probably have a whole library of good works. I think it's important that God is so organized and so efficient that no one is going to be able to say yes, but you can't. You don't remember back there on December the the 11th, 1987. I did such and such. Now, if you knew about, if you don't know about that one, then surely you would let me in heaven on that one. Now, uh, we've got it right here. Every good deed, every good work is listed in the book of works. I don't know how many there are, how many works, but it's a lot. And, of course, we reckon, well, let's just read on. Y'all are in Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. Now, see, these, I don't have time to, I'll get way off if I start explaining these, so I'm going to press on. And they were judged, every one of them, look at this, according to their deeds. Look at, look what, Verse 12 ends on, according to their deeds. Verse 13, judge every one of them according to their deeds. Now, this, you ought to underline that part because a lot of people who just can't get over the fact, whether they're Calvinistic and say that God didn't, uh, that Jesus Christ didn't die for everyone, just the elect. If Jesus Christ only died for the elect, it means the unbelievers are going to hell and they're going to be they should be judged according to their what? Their sins if Christ didn't take care of them God isn't going to give them a pass. But the fact that you have them being judged according to their works means that they re, the, the sin issue is a done deal. You know that. Is it done is is, is the is the sin issue Not an issue for believers only? No. When Christ died on the cross, he died for everyone's sin. And you know that because of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19, don't you? Which anyone would be ready to stand up and quote for us. No. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. You hear that part? He gave us the word of reconciliation. That's a very powerful verse. And I'm going to keep saying it until y'all can say it. Y'all can say it back to me. That takes care of the sin. That's why sins are not going to be mentioned at the great white throne. It's going to be the only thing they have left is their own good works. And you can go to Isaiah 64, 6, and what does God think of their works? As filthy rags. How's He going to let them into heaven when He thinks of them as filthy rags? And of course, His own justice demands that justice be carried out and they be tossed into the lake of fire and forever separated from God. That's what they wanted. That's what they're going to get. I just thought I would throw that in while we are... Looking at that Romans passage. I thought it would be a good time to review that. Okay. So on the Judgment Day. Or on the day of judgment, the books of works will be opened for all unbelievers and they will be added up to see if they earn salvation. But all they will fall short, but all will fall short of the glory of God and will be tossed into the lake of fire. We know that the more you work, according to Romans chapter 3, the more you work for salvation, the more you go into debt. So this has to do with, with work. James 5, verses 7 through 8. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. You know, I really like that. Because it, it supposes to me that after the coming of the Lord, I don't have to be patient anymore. <laughs> and it's true, because I'm not going to have the old sin nature. And I will be patient. So I don't have to be fighting this patience issue forever. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. You see, in context, this, what this is saying is, do not grow weary in doing good. What is this in saying? Be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is here. Is near. How do you strengthen your hearts? Now, I'm not talking about taking heart pills. Yeah, it's the Word of God that will strengthen your heart. What is he talking about? The heart, the cardia, the dominant portion of the soul, who you are. You strengthen that by thinking, by learning, thinking, and applying doctrine. That's how you, well, the, the applying comes as a result. So what is this? Isn't this some, uh, to implore us, don't give up the fight? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28 through 31. Do you not know? <laughs> okay. I found the button to kill that one. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. Does that not lift your spirit? God never gets tired. He gives us the strength when we have no more to mount up like wings of eagles. Boy, I can just see that eagle taking off. Isn't that wonderful? That's what the everlasting God who created the ends of the earth, that's what He does for us. Even when the young men stumble, we gain new strength. I hate to sound like a breaking, broken record. How do you gain new strength? How do you get that new strength? You're getting it now. Every time that you are learning and meditating upon the Word of God, it is giving you strength. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. I want you to turn to that verse, and what I want you to do in that verse, put a star by it, and I want you to circle day by day. Not week by week, not three times a month, day by day. We're in a battle, we need the logistics, we need the spiritual support day by day. Second Corinthians chapter four. Verse sixteen through eighteen. Would all y'all give me a hearty Amen that the outer man is decaying? <laughs> I don't have to I don't have to sell anybody on that, do I? Well, the young people class, uh, this doesn't really register all that much. They're full of vim and vigor. I, was, I, I took some pictures of them uh, last time, and I was going to download and put them on there and show you. Uh, I'll do that next time. Yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. That's the man you can't see. That's the cardia. That's the heart. That's who you really are. And then remember, this is Paul writing this, that was beaten repeatedly, shipwrecked, went naked, went hungry, every kind of ordeal you can think of. And this is what he has to say. For our momentary light affliction, light affliction. They hated him. They cursed him. He had to flee all the time. People were after him. And he says, for our momentary light affliction, is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. That should lift your spirits. That is the strength. That is the encouragement that we need. That's what we need to meditate on. While we look not at the things which are seen, what are the things that are seen? Problems, woe, crap that we have to deal with every single day, and it gets worse and worse. So we're not looking at those. We're not looking at our circumstances, but at the things which are not seen. What are the things that you cannot see? How about the motivation, the hope, the confidence that God means what He says and all the promises that He has given us? And these words, our encouragement, are real, even though you can't reach out and touch them. Every other thing is going to pass away, but these things, it says, are eternal. Well, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. They're passing away. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Can you reach out and grab the doctrine? I'll take uh, eight pounds of eternal security. Wrap it up and I'll take it with me. No, you can't get your hands on it, can you? But it is more real than the things that we see. Everything that we see, all of us, this building, this ground, everything, is going to be destroyed by fire someday. Doctrine won't. Your heart, your cardia, your soul will not. See, those are the things you can't see. Those are the things that are eternal. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Positional? Experiential? What is this? if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope full to the end. That's experiential, big-time experiential. Maybe we will hold it and maybe we won't. Who decides if we're going to hold it or not? Each one of us do, don't we? Nobody can make that decision for you. I guarantee you, I'd like, there's people in my family I would love to be able to uh, reach out and make that decision for them, the whole fast, confidence. Confidence is huge. Confidence is linked to your motivation. When your confidence starts to wane, you're in big-time trouble. It's just like morale in the, in the military. When morale goes down, that is a very serious issue. It's because they're losing confidence. It's the same thing in the spiritual battle. We keep our morale up. We keep our motivation going forward. And when we do that, is based on the confidence we believe what God is saying. The moment that that starts to wane and you think, I don't know if it's worth it or not, then it's big time trouble. That's why this, this verse... 2 Corinthians 4.18, or is it, uh, here it is, verse 17. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. I'm married to somebody who talks about heaven all the time. what 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 my mansion is going to look like i i can't i don't ever visualize i can't i i don't know what my mansion is going to be like i i i'd have i guess i'm going to have to hire a heavenly interior decorator <laughs> i but well, not really i'm sure it'll be just perfect for my taste i don't they're not all going to be the same but even thinking about such things lift you out of the mire of the drudgery and the mundane things that we have to deal with. And that will just leech the energy right out of you, the spiritual energy. That's why we have to get our minds out of the daily gore that we have to deal with and get it on the eternal. And thinking about those things can lift you up. Some of us have more of imagination than others. But any of us can think about what heaven is going to be like. Hebrews 3, 13 through 14. But encourage encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called a day, as long as you still have a day, is what that means, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm, firm until the end. Positional or experiential? You're going to see just about all of them. Not ever all, all of them, but just about all. Most of the New Testament is all about the experiential. Hold fast. What assurance? What is assurance? Isn't assurance confidence? Confidence, insurance. How important is it for you to hold on to that confidence? Can you lose your confidence? Of course you can. If you're hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, if you start buying Satan's line, for we have become partakers of Christ if... Not all believers are partakers. The metakoi. You want to become metakoi? You know what it's going to take? Do you know what it's going to take? Work. It's going to take commitment. It's going to take for a transformation of your soul where you can start seeing a vision. You can start seeing past the everyday life and see the picture that the Bible paints for us in the hereafter. That's what it's going to take. Then you can become a partaker. Uh, turn to, I want you to do this. Turn to Hebrews 13, if you're already there, 13 and 14. And where it says partakers, I want you to circle that. You see, you can't, hit a, you can't reach a goal if you don't know it, if you don't see it. And you can write in there in your margin, if you have room, Metakoi. And I'm, I think it's M-E-T-A-C-H-O-I, Metakoi. That's overcomers. In Revelation chapter two and three, you'll if you go there, that's where a lot of the rewards, decorations, and so forth are listed. And over and over it says to the Metacoid, to the overcomer. Now everyone overcomes the world when they believe in Jesus Christ in a in one sense, in a positional sense. But very few overcome the world in an experiential sense. It's the ones that keep that assurance. They keep that confidence. Look at this. For we have become partakers in Christ if and only if we hold fast, we hold close to us the beginning of our, assur- of our insur- assurance firm until the end. What if you don't hold it until the end? What if you flake off? Will you be in heaven? Of course, but you're not going to be Metacoi. You're not going to be a servant king You're not going to reign with the servant kings. That's why my heart goes out to some of these Bible churches that the attendance is lacking. What's happened in these churches? Well, what's happened is the believers are losing their assurance, they're losing their confidence. They're ready to throw in the towel because it's not easy. God gives us everything to be overcomers, but it's not easy to do, especially these days because we have so much, so many things that can distract us. Just get a computer. Get on the Internet. No, I'm not telling you to do it. It would be better if you don't. But, I mean, if you do, you'll know what I'm talking about. What is it that makes us read emails anyway? Huh? I mean, it's like when the phone rings, you just, you know, oh, I've got to go answer the phone. Well, when somebody sends you an email, you got to see what the email is. All I'm telling you is there's all these things that can make you lose your assurance. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 through 39. Therefore, do not throw away your... Com- go here also. These are great commands. This is how we endure to the end. Did you hear about... Assurance, now you hear confidence, now you hear confidence again. It's not confidence in self. Have you ever heard these athletes, these people who are successful, and they say, well, what is it that makes you successful? Again, can you give us a tip of the first thing? They say? Well, you've got to really believe in yourself. You ever heard that before? Rarely does anyone say, I'm just trying to exploit the grace gifts that my gracious Heavenly Father has given me. Wouldn't it be great to hear something like that sometime? Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. That's your confidence in God and His Word, which has what? A great reward. You need to circle these verses. You need to put a star. You need to code them somewhere, somehow, because you're going to get down. You're going to be ready to throw in the towel. You're going to start getting sloppy in your spiritual life. We all do from time to time. And this is says you're, you're throwing away a great reward. When your confidence is waning, your work is all but there is no good, there's no human, uh, divine good being accomplished, and you're in retreat. Therefore, do not do this. Don't throw away your confidence. It's your confidence has the great reward because it's your confidence that is the engine that is driving you forward in the battle so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Verse 37, For yet in a very little while he who is coming will come. Aren't you going to be glad when he comes? And will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Which is a litotes. You know, (laughs) y'all looking at me. (laughs) I was looking at Michael because we were talking about this. Litotes is a figure of speech. It's it's using a negative to really emphasize something. It's like if you went to the doctor. And got a shot, and it it hurt so bad you couldn't hardly bear it. That happened to me one time. I went to the doctor and gave me a shot in the hip, way up here, and it was so, it hurt so bad. And I was a man. I mean, I was a grown man. I thought, this is this shouldn't be. I and I, I said, do you have the needle out yet? He said, yes. I said, and when I walked out of that place, I was literally, I, I was limping like this. And so to ex- explain litotes, if somebody said, um, "Well, uh, how was the how was the uh, 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 office visit?" If I said something like, uh, "Well, it was interesting," or if I said uh, something that would be, um, let me give you another expression. That one, that one, illustration, that one is good. Let's say I went to a concert and heard Elvis Presley when he was at his height. And I came home and my parents said, how did you like the singer? And I said, he's not a bad singer. See, that's using negative. But what do I mean? He was great. That is like totes. And I'm sorry that I said it, but I said it anyway. There it is. Uh, Some of you are looking at me like, well... That's what it is anyway, when he says, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. I'm going to be mad as hell at that one. That's what it means. But, he, but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. See, people read this, aha, preserve, you've got to preserve your soul. You've got to work to preserve your soul. And you do in an experiential sense, but they don't, have, they don't know that that's what this... This whole thing here is talking about experiential, even though people would ha- try to uh, give a positional, eternal context to it. I've got to keep going. I'm, whew, I don't even know if I'm going to get through with these verses. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Therefore, since we have such a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance. Hear that? endurance, the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. What did we sing before we started today? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Well, we can't see Jesus. He's not here. How do we see Jesus? We see Him here through the Word. That's why I, what we have to do until we see Him face to face. So it says, Run the race that is fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him who has endured such hostility by sinners against Himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If Christ can do it, you can do it. It's not because we even come close to comparing ourselves to Him, but we can do it because God the Father has given us everything that we need in order to endure. Okay, that was my last verse on enduring. There was one more I thought I had in there. Um. Turn to Matthew chapter 24. I thought I had this one in there, but it wasn't there. Some of you already know where I'm going, don't you? A few do. Matthew chapter 24. I know you've heard this verse before. Verse 13, but the one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. Y'all heard that before? Well, how many people have you heard that gives that a positional context to it? They think, you have to endure, brother. You can't slip. God paid for all your sins. Now, this is what Jehovah's Witnesses are told me. God paid for your sins up till the time that you believe in Jesus Christ. And after that, brother, you're on your own. And you've got to endure to the end. You've got to rock the straight and narrow. You can't get off course. And I always ask these people, well, how off course can I get? Where's the line? I don't want to go to hell. Tell me. Show me in the Bible. Where's the line? How far off do I get so that I'll know I'm not enduring? They don't like those kind of questions. Because they can't give it to you. The point is, this is not positional. This is experiential verse. This is talking about believers in the tribulation, those who endure physically to the end of that of that tribulational period, will be delivered. The word "they're saved" also means delivered. Sozo. They're going to be delivered right into what the millennium. I remember now why I didn't put it in there. If none of these verses have inspired you, encouraged you, then I don't know what the problem is. Because they inspire me. I've heard them over and over again. And every time I hear them, it motivates me. It gets me back on track. Because we can get so involved and we can get so enmeshed in the details of life that we forget what life is really about. And this is what the Bible is telling us. Keep that confidence going. Keep that momentum, that motivation going. The assurance that God is going to come forth with what He says. When Paul says that this temporary light affliction that we have cannot be compared to the eternal weight of, of glory that awaits those who endure. Is it possible for Christians, for believers to give up, to cease to endure? Is that possible? Absolutely. And when they do, they lose greatly. They lose tremendously. They're not going to lose their salvation. They're going to be in heaven. And I keep saying for people who say, "Well, I, I I don't know what all this doctrine stuff is." I, I there's a occupational hazard to those who understand eternal security, and that's about all they understand. Because I've had people tell me, "Well, I'm going to heaven. That's all that matters." So what, what's all this doctrinal stuff? And then I have to rebound because I'm choking them mentally. It, what an insult that God would all this encouragement, and they think the. The goal is not to get to heaven. We are already everyone here is already going to heaven. It's cut and dried, it, it's a done deal. That's not the goal. The goal is to become merciful, overcomers, partakers to endure to the end and let me tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt none of us can endure apart from the consistent intake of God's Word. That's the gas that makes us go. And God is saying, don't give up on it. You will be eternally thankful and eternally rewarded. If I was you, I'd put all these verses together in a spot to where I could get to them when I started getting bogged down in worry and dread And get my eyes off of the Lord. Let's close. Father, we are eternally thankful for these wonderful, tremendous verses. These promises. This encouragement that you have given us. We desperately need it. We can talk ourselves out of these great blessings. We can rationalize away the importance of sticking to it, to keep on keeping on. You give us the power and the endurance that we can mount up with wings of eagles if we just ask, if we just continue to trust in You and keep that focus and that goal of well done, Thou good and faithful servant primary in our life. We thank You for this motivation and pray that we will never forget it, not one day. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.